I'm Mike Seymour and welcome to this week's VFX show where we are going future past further into the present tense with X-Men Days of Future Past. I love a good time travel show and I love one where I can actually uh, connect up with people on the other side of the planet who are already time shifted from me and I'm talking of course about my friends in Europe. We're joined on the show this week uh, by uh, Matt Leonard. How are you Matt? Very well thank you. Very well indeed. Uh, And uh, Zap, how shall I? Uh, you are still in Sweden, aren't you? You're not. Uh, you're I'm still in Sweden. Yes. yes, I haven't moved an inch since last time. Excellent. Good. How are you? I'm still alive. Excellent. Well, that's a good start. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's uh, a prerequisite. It is. So, uh, as I said, we're covering X Men, the latest film uh, that. Uh, basically unites the uh, strand of X-Men that had become uh, the sort of next generation from the last X-Men film with the uh, many of the characters, not all of them, but most of the characters from the uh, uh, trilogy of X-Men films that really almost sunk the franchise. Um, but luckily in this uh, new uh, X-Men film, we get to rewrite the past and thus obliterate most of uh, the third X-Men film. And Zap. Were you glad to see us uh, somewhat turn our back on that third X-Men film, or did you actually enjoy it? Yeah, I'm kind of happy to see Brian Singer back at the helm of this thing, because it for sure took a detour uh, in the third film from what he was planning, and really didn't kind of, you know, put any bookend to the series the way you would have wanted it. I think the way he planned it. So this is a much, you know, nicer bookend that way. Man, I don't know if you're familiar with the X-Men franchise, but a friend of mine who is claims that the third film was actually pretty accurate to what happened in the uh, comic books. What did you think of the third X-Men film? It's been a while since I saw it, but I definitely enjoyed it. Um, Though I think this one was something that surpassed it by uh, quite a long way in a number of different ways. Yeah, I can't say I was a huge fan of the third one. Um, I quite liked uh, the uh, last X-Men film, and so it was interesting to see the two generations kind of combined. Though, I have to say, Patrick Stewart didn't do an enormous amount in this film, um, but uh, yeah, I would always uh, welcome Patrick Stewart into any uh, any movie I'm watching. I think he's a terrific actor. Um, so what did you guys think of this film, The uh, Days of Future Past, um, just as a film first? Uh, Matt, did you enjoy it? Yeah, I really did enjoy it. It it felt like it had enough action in to keep me interested, but it also felt like they had given some space to get to know some of the characters a little bit more and just gave you a bit of time to understand the story in more detail. So I really enjoyed it. This would definitely be one of my uh, favorite X-Men movies, I would say. Sap, uh, I found it dragged a bit about three-quarters of the way through. I really would have loved to have seen three-quarters of the way through them uh, go back and get Quicksilver and have another Quicksilver sequence because I've got to say the uh, visual effects that Rising Sun Pictures provided for that uh, Quicksilver kitchen scene was just stunning. Did you have any problem with that kind of three-quarter mark where it got a bit ethereal and a bit uh, less actiony or did you like it? I don't recall having a particular problem at that point in time. I think the film flowed pretty well. Uh, Unlike, uh, you know... Comparing it to something like the new Spider-Man film, uh, which I thought was a mess and paced very strangely, I think this flowed uh, quite well, actually. I thought the film was good, but I really thought that we lost a bit of momentum at that three-quarter mark, where we had the whole Patrick Stewart talking, well, Xavier talking to himself effectively, and there was a lot of kind of introspection and stuff, and I felt like we went... uh, We sort of had the most interesting part of the film in the first half, is what I 
um, I guess I'm saying that that last big action sequence was what I expected, a big end action sequence, but I just felt like it didn't play well after, I guess, Paris. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed Paris. I enjoyed the stuff leading up to that. I particularly enjoyed the opening. I just thought there was a bit there where it was just like... Plus, Quicksilver was so interesting. I thought, what a shame. You know, and then to just have a cutaway shot of him watching TV, it was like, man, you could have been there in a second. Just join the others. <laughs> no? No, I'm, just me? I'm, uh, I'm, I'm wondering with that sequence that, that slowed down a bit, whether they just really felt they wanted to get the two actors together and just give them a bit of screen time really to talk and, and so you could see both the the young and the old together and I'm wondering whether they wrote it just for that purpose because I mean, as you said it yeah if I was going to talk about it in terms of just joining the film whenever Hugh Jackman was on the screen and it's not just because he's an Australian but whenever he was on the screen <laughs> I thought that was great um, yes. he said in an interview that uh, from his perspective Wolverine kind of kept up with fashions until about the 70s and then when um you know, basically Wham and uh, Rick Ashley and everything came along. He just went, I'm out. <laughs> and he just sort of stopped with 70s style. And so when they went back to the 70s, it kind of really suited Wolverine. And um, he thought it was his kind of natural stylistic kind of period. And fashion-wise, as well as stylistically, I thought um, the Wolverine looked particularly good back in the 70s. Uh, uh, waterbed and all. Um, so, so Wolverine Wouldn't for me. Would that be a bit dangerous for him though, with all the spikes and waterbeds? Sounded well. That's like what I think. That, that was the joke. Yeah, I think that was great. Yeah, I guess so. Um, so anyway, uh, that was my uh, my sort of two things I thought really propelled the film. In fact, I was hoping to be more propelled along by Mystique. And while I think that um, Mystique, Mystique was good uh, and her character was good, I felt like Jennifer Lawrence wasn't really being pushed uh, dramatically in the role um she was fine but um you know the posters basically feature wolverine and mystique in my country certainly as the kind of uh, central characters of the film so anyway i, I like the film but i i would have definitely had uh, if you could have had uh, mystique come back and interact with quicksilver at the three-quarter mark uh, it would have been a great film in my opinion um let's discuss the visual effects uh i said already that i really liked that quicksilver sequence um, let's discuss it right off the bat and then we can get to the, uh, the opening. That'll do it out of order. Uh, because Quicksilver uh, was a very isolated visual effects sequence. Like it, it existed in its kind of own, uh, you know, it wasn't like we saw that elsewhere in the film. Um, shot at very high frame rates to, to get to the kind of uh, sequence that we liked, of course, with major visual effects, as I said before, uh, led by uh, uh, Tim Crosby at uh, Rising Sun Pictures. Um, Zap, what did you think of the uh, the slowness of time as we witnessed it from Quicksilver's point of view? I absolutely love that sequence, and I was giggling uh, constantly throughout the whole thing because it was not only amazingly well made; it was funny, and it it, it you know the, the whole thing where he's like ranging uh, the various guards to punch themselves and do this, that, and the other thing. I I really like that. Of course, you can argue with the physics of this that it would never work for various reasons, like how could he move the guard's arm? What amounted to faster than a speeding bullet because the bullets were really really not moving much at all and uh, by the way the extra little joke where he almost kind of oh yeah the bullets i almost forgot about them and like the last thing he went and just pushed them aside only tiny little fragments that it would just barely miss uh I, I, yeah i love the sequence it looked amazing 
Uh, it fit the film very well. Uh, the music, the whole thing, uh, it was just fantastic work. And I'll, I bow down and applaud to anyone who worked on that sequence. Shot at 3,000 frames a second um, to get the stuff we're talking about. I like that whole sequence from actually earlier than that, earlier than the kitchen set when he did the whole, um, what are you doing, whiplash, holding uh, holding Magneto's neck. I thought that was just uh, terrific. Um, what do you think, Matt? Yeah, to be honest, that sequence, the Quicksilver sequence, was my favorite sequence in the entire movie. Um, yeah. I was just amazed how much um, detail they managed to get in. And just as Zach was saying, the playfulness of it. And even earlier when he was in the um, in the elevator and he gaffer taped the guy to the yeah. wall. And then um, just the kind of the when he um, takes Magneto out of the cell, as you were talking about earlier, the that shot of all the guards kind of flying out again just looked fantastic. And when it obviously got to the kitchen scene, the thing that came to mind um, immediately was something that must have been done a few years ago. Um, there was an advert by Philips called Carousel, I believe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of a, yep, yep, I remember that really well. Yep. Heist kind of thing. And that it just reminded me of that, but just um, on acid. And it just looked fantastic. And it was interesting reading uh, your FX Guide article on um, how that was put together, they, that they actually built some practical elements of of saucepans with things coming out of them actually there in set along with obviously all the enhancements that they did with cg yeah i think the animation team built about a hundred unique items and there were a whole bunch of other obviously say physical props excellent use of uh 3d lidar scanning in a built-up area i'd say um absolutely so uh Let's jump forward uh to the sequence that got me interested to go and see the film in the first place they released on the net uh as more of a sort of a clip than a trailer, the opening attack sequence happens in the future uh, where we see um, a really amazing kind of battle going on with the Sentinels coming and uh, attacking and, let's face it, uh, looking like they're going to win against um, uh, the mutants. That, uh, that sequence, I don't know if you saw it before you went to the cinema, but I, I saw that, just wanted to go and see the film based on that. I thought it was a cracker. I didn't see it before. I was uh, remarkably un... Uh, you know, haven't seen much trailers or anything about this movie other than I know that basically the, both the generations would be in it and I try to avoid, uh, you know, to go fresh to the cinema. So I really liked uh, also this battle scene. I had some issues. I don't really like the design of the Sentinels, the future version of them. It looks like there's leftovers from AI or the thing from Thor or I don't know what it looked. Uh, I, I didn't like that at all. Spindly and weird and all now, wrong to me. But but besides can we, that... Can we the, clarify yeah. that though? Are you talking about their humanoid shape as in what you might describe as their silhouette or yes. their coating of uh, blades or you know uh, little kind of uh, tiles? Because I like the tiles. I agree with you. Their body shape did look exactly like a cross, until you said I hadn't picked that, a cross between Thor 1's uh, robot and, um, and, and as you say, the uh, AI creatures at the end of uh, that film. Yes, exactly. No, uh, primarily the kind of silhouette, the, the, the shape of them was all wrong to me. I would have wanted something much beefier, you know, more traditional i don't know how you would broad broad shouldered kind of big roboty thing uh 
of course, they're not supposed to be robots anymore in this future, but I still would want to see... I kind of more prefer the, the old design of them, or the 70s versions. And it, it's like there was no link between the old 70s design and the futuristic one. Uh, you had to kind of know they were supposed to be the same thing, but new. And I think that's a little bit of a failure of design. But uh, beyond that, if, if you talk about the battle itself... I, I really liked it, and especially the way they used the portal power thingy. For anyone who played the game Portal, uh, immediately picks up on all the tricks they did, you know, jump through walls, uh, to fl through the floor to get momentum to make it the kick when you fly out of the wall and all these things. It's like, yeah, I, I remember that level in Portal, <laughs> so it was pretty good. Yeah, I think Blink's Portal was not only incredibly effective thematically or, or the narratively, but it was just good to watch in terms of the actual portal itself was quite a detailed kind of thing. It wasn't just a 2D kind of flat uh, opening that we've seen so many times before. It really felt like someone had, I don't know, melted a hole in the space-time continuum rather than just opened a, an iris, uh, which is the kind of more usual analogy. So yeah, no, I thought that they'd done a good job with that. Um, <clears throat> I also thought that uh, that the stuff that um, Sunspot and Iceman did just flying around uh, made for good cinematic kind of uh, motion. It was really nice kind of big movements. I agree wholeheartedly with the Sentinels not making a lot of sense to me in terms of their shape, but I loved uh, that they ripped off the essence of what was Mystique to make those um, you know, little tiles uh, flip on them. What about you, Matt? Yeah, I, I kind of agree. I really like the new ones, definitely. I wasn't um, so keen on the, the kind of the older versions the ones in the 70s um they felt a little bit like um the robot out of uh, i think gulliver's travels <laughs> maybe hydraulics worked on i mean they looked fantastic but they didn't have the the scale that i felt the new sentinels had in the future and just the the texturing of the new ones as you said this kind of scaly um kind of look to them and the way that they would be able to transform their skin as they moved around and adapt just looked fantastic and it gave them such a menacing feel that as you watch that opening sequence and again at the end you just spend the whole time thinking they're actually going to win this unless something dramatic happens yeah they actually built a, a life-size uh, prop uh, sentinel the old one the 70s retro one um I, yeah, and, and you know, it was remarkable because it wasn't meant to have metal in it, uh, which, uh, you know, was pretty incredible. I thought yeah. that, um, I thought the 70s design ones were more, you know, sort of what I'd expect from the 70s kind of thing. And so therefore worked. The futuristic ones did seem like a bit of a cop out to me just in terms of silhouette, though, as I say, I love that, um, that uh, covering. The covering was done, and we covered this in the um, FX Guide article, but in case you guys haven't read it. The, uh, the covering was going to be done with uh, a hair simulation. I mean, it makes perfect sense, really, because you want to have something that's procedural. But uh, MPC, who did all the visual effects for that, discovered that it wasn't going to work so well. So they actually came up with this kind of follicle thing that allowed them to have a, um, uh, I guess, a, a point cloud distribution of the blades uh, using proxies. Um, and at each point in the point cloud, it would have like a matrix to give its kind of position its um orientation you know um i guess it's uh id the animators could actually go in and tweak any of those um little individual uh blades or follicles so they weren't just procedural and you know if they wanted them to catch the light or whatever they could do that uh, but what's interesting is when they got to that head that you were talking about zap the one that opened up um the there's a hundred one hundred 
100,835 of the blades on the body, but there's another 1,019 of moving parts inside the head, and there the procedural animation didn't work as well for them, so they ended up pretty much having to hand animate those, which I thought was pretty extraordinary. Yeah, Um, that's incredible. It is a shame, though, that the head thing, I felt like it was done in Thor, so I I totally agree with you, Zab. It just felt like we'd kind of seen that before, even though it was a more interesting head. um, It didn't sort of make a whole lot of sense why... It should be that way. Why wouldn't it come out of a hand? Why wouldn't it, you know, it just... Uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I think they looked pretty good. But I, as I say, the the real key for me was just the choreography, the staging and the and the wonderful kind of way that it... Um, you, you kind of didn't know where it was going, right? And then kind of jumping around and what are they trying to do and how they're going to win and how they're going to defeat this until she finally, um, you know... I can't even remember what she says, but it's basically like too late sucker kind of thing, and uh, <laughs> and they um, evaporate away, which I did think was pretty good. Um, it's a m- remarkable sequence, Zap, in terms of how much of on screen is just not there. I've seen some of the plates for that, and it's just like a wall here and a door there and a bit of metal here. The rest of it's all um, CG. Do you think it felt CG to you? I mean, you've got a really good eye. Actually, no. That was I was going to say also, especially the ice, uh, uh, the Iceman ice effects uh, has come quite a long way, baby, from uh, what they used to be in the earlier films where it looked much more fake. And especially this, um, uh, was it from the first class movie, this girl that turned into diamonds kind of thing, which totally never worked for me as the transparency looked completely wrong and and like you know refraction map trickery rather than pr- real ray tracing whereas this, the the look of the uh, when he turned into ice now it looked completely like that's what it would look like if he was made out of ice so uh, that that worked a lo- really well for me uh, and the rendering overall in this film you know was completely beautiful and I, i'm hoping it's yet another case of physically based rendering for the win i hope so Anyway, uh, the the only like look-wise part of this pre-fight uh, intra-fight I had any kind of issue with was maybe that some of the fire were a little bit too orange for my taste, uh, based on the kind of dark environment we were in. Uh, it's like it, it's a trend in movies that they you know mm. you want to kind of over overcolorize your your glowy things, and you don't really take into account that you're actually shooting this in a dark area where this would actually blow out more to white. Uh, but that's not now I'm being really nitpicky, so that's. A super tiny detail yeah i do agree with you though i don't i don't uh it is it is often the case you get these very sort of orangey flames and i'm so used to in the real world you know having something clip that it it does feel a bit uh too perfect in a i guess i guess prefer perfection is the problem i it just doesn't seem quite right it doesn't seem filmic. Maybe that's what my problem is. It, it's not that it seems wrong. It just doesn't seem like it's been filmed by something. Um, right. Had you had something like this actually happen in front of a real piece of film or CCD and you tried to capture it, you would have more blowouts and more... Uh, the, the dynamic range would be more chaotic. And it's, it looks oh, a little completely. bit overproduced, overcontrolled. Yeah. Uh, which is an issue I have with film since the dawn of time, you know, uh, that, that we have this overproduced, overcontrolled, overcompressed press dynamic range all of the time i mean the lighting is pretty lighting it's not realistic lighting it doesn't have a gritty kind of edge as much as it tries to be dark and sinister you know everybody's lit with 
pretty gorgeous light. No one looks bad. I don't think there's any point that anyone looks particularly bad. Um, and it's not to criticize the film because it's like that kind of a film. But yeah, I think I would have... I think if I was doing a sequence like this and I wanted it to be not a superhero film, then I would definitely want to blow out um, right. blow out the look much more than, uh, than what we saw here. So uh, I like that sequence a lot. As I said, I think it's just like a really terrific... Um, uh, sequence and and I think it's amazing how much work the guys did in terms of just you know you don't think of it as an animated sequence you think of it as a live action sequence but there's just so little live action there it's just uh, it's almost ridiculous I, I mean it's far more animated sequence than it is um, a live action sequence in every respect uh, plus your eye is going to the stuff that's moving um, now that was of course all pre-visualized as things are these days in this case by the third floor um, and I think you really needed that because it would have been incredibly complicated to work out what was what um, without some really, really good previous. I think it's probably the case also, Zap, these days that, you know, you, you, you have probably the most fun as a filmmaker at that previous stage because the previous tools are so solid these days. You can really do a lot. And once you've done a lot, it must be somewhat of a recipe that you would then hand on because, you know, you can't be improvising too much. Uh, obviously, looks, textures and stuff, sure, but... But the staging or something, this would really have to be worked out in previous, wouldn't it? Yeah, I heard. I don't remember where I read or, or heard this that somebody said that one of the kind of most fun place to actually be uh, to, in today's film industry is actually in a previous department because you pretty much have, you know, free reign and come up with whole sequences sometimes and just basically from the top of your own head, I think this should happen, and blam, and he now he goes here, and whatever, and you shows that to the director, and the director goes, yeah, that's great, Let, you know, print that, do that, whatever, uh, and you, so you can actually have a very large input on how the film will ultimately look by being a, a previous guy these days, so that sounds exciting for them, at least. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I think it was well staged, Matt, um, but I didn't feel too stagey or too kind of um because because i guess i just didn't know where it was going so i didn't sort of have that yeah. kind of all right get it over and done with kind of sequence that i sometimes get with an action sequence now i think because especially for something like this where there was so much jumping around and you had all the sentinels coming from different positions and you had um, all the x-men doing different things and working together quite a lot as as a team in order to to do all these different kind of tricks to try and kill them i think Obviously, the previous was instrumental in knowing how to stage that and put that together, but it never felt, as you said, kind of overproduced. It always had that element of what's going to happen and, and some of the mistakes that you would expect in, in it being real or you know portraying reality um, was still there. So it didn't feel like they'd kind of nailed it to the, the, you know, to the final point. They'd left a bit of leeway in there to give it some fun the, ca still, the camera really work nice. also felt very realistic rather yeah, than having absolutely. a swooshy god's camera it was really like yeah. that's where i would put the real camera and there was some dollies and some push-ins and stuff like that but nothing that would be totally impossible and that always no, grounds right. things nicely now while we're on it feel the, distracting yeah while we're on it there's Sorry. a second sentinel fight scene in the future later in the film uh involving storm and uh, Magneto, of course, and the others at the Chinese monastery. Do our comments extend to that sequence? Do we feel the same way about that as we did the opening attack sequence? Because I have one major change I'd draw on. What about you guys? It, for me, it felt a little bit more distracting because I think you were more concerned with, with whether what was happening in the past was going to get done 
um, by the time the Sentinels got through. So I was more distracted by the drama than I was at the action at that stage. So I may not have been applying, you know, thinking too much about what was going on. But what were your thoughts? I didn't like the jet thing so much. I found the jet, <coughs> you know, sort of bits. Yeah. Of, it was all a bit, that was a bit, I mean, it's hard, isn't it? Because these things floating in space that Magneto's meant to do, it always seems a bit like Magneto has disproportionately more control over everything than almost anybody else. Um, because, you know, I, I mean, I guess he's the leader of the, uh, you know, the sort of theoretically one of the most powerful mutants in, in the franchise. But nevertheless, it just feels like, you know, Magneto can do anything anytime he wants with, you know, because you can always find some way that metal's involved. And the second there's any metal involved, he can float, he can hover, he can make a thousand projectiles all control whatever. He can stop, as he did in the last film, uh, you know, a gazillion missiles from landing on top of you as long as he just doesn't break concentration. And it's, you know, it takes a bit of the drama out of it for me because, and then when Magneto gets uh, wounded, I felt like, well, that's a contrivance because this guy's avoided way worse than that kind of thing. I, I don't know. It just, the the almost unlimited powers of Magneto seem to be a little, like lifting up the stadium and dropping it round, sort of same kind of criticism. That was more visually interesting for me. So I kind of went with it, but the jet breaking up and using it as a projectile thing against the incoming sentinels just didn't feel quite as believable i think it was just hard dark objects at night um he just didn't it all got a bit sort of dare i say it, x-men 3 for me what about you yeah although, although i don't never really understood the point of pulling a stadium from the ground they never really used it for much so that was more like i'm going to show you that i can lift stuff yeah let's rip the stadium out of the ground and i don't recall he doing much than just well i think the idea later. was that it was going to cordon off the area and the sentinels would then use it as a wall and uh, okay. uh, all the police cars and everything else that were rushing to the uh, white house would not be able to get there because you know it would basically stop okay. anyone else from getting in. I, I kind of get it in a way, but, um, you know, uh, there, there seemed to be yeah, a lot of people if, that suddenly weren't there. Yeah, if we're going to analyze something like a superhero movie too much on logic, it kind of always falls down because we yeah. have the, the issue with Magneto's powers, as you say, it seemed to be too fantastic at times. And it's like he put some railroad track pieces into these yeah. supposedly all plastic robots and then he had control over them. First of all, I don't know how you build electronics with only polymers. Uh, I, what do I know? I'm just an electronics engineer. <laughs> but... Um, uh, you know, yeah. So, so, and then by just adding some railroad tracks to it, he now has the password to the CPU of this thing. Uh, did, you know, it's a superhero movie, so you just you can you kind of go with it. But, but I do understand that your point there that it was almost a little bit. He was almost too godlike at the end, and wouldn't he be able to? Surely there was more metal around he could bash sentinels with. It was the really the only piece of metal that their jet. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it just, uh, it doesn't, f it, it's the same problem that I had in, gosh, uh, the Matrix films, right? There's a point at which it was like, oh, okay, so he can do pretty much anything, all right? Well, I'm not going to pay so much attention to him right now because emotionally I'm kind of not as, you know, engaged. When characters are more vulnerable and less uh, perfect, less, you know, omnipotent, then the danger becomes more real and thus I sort of am more, I'm more lean into it. I'm more uh, engaged in what's uh, kind of going on. Um 
Man, yeah, like but in the, mat- ma- in the Matrix, they solved it with an operating system upgrade. So, you know, <laughs> they downloaded the latest iOS version 20 and then they were done with Neo. Ma- Matt, uh, what did we think of uh, the other end of the spectrum with the physical makeup effects stuff with Beast that Legacy Effects did? Uh, Beast kind of came and went as uh, Hank um, was able to do. Um, and by the way, don't even get me started on this uh, sudden medicine that makes you walk and stops your powers. But anyway, um, but just uh, on the, the look of uh, Beast, I guess, rather than anything else. I thought it looked really nice. Uh, I think they've done a great job in in making makeup that obviously fitted the character but also enabled his facial performance to come through really strongly, which was, for me, um, being a kind of emotionally attached to that character whenever he was on screen, it helped to really portray what he was thinking, what he was feeling. So I thought they did a, a really nice job of that. I had a few uh, problems with some of the movement of Beast in that opening section when, it, when uh, Wolverine comes to the school. Uh, but generally, I really like the look of it. And I believe it went CG at some point. Is oh, that, yeah, is definitely. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, well, apart from anything else, when he's leaping around on the Sentinels and, uh, you know, doing some of the stuff that he had to do, he Absolutely, was yes. very much <laughs> CG. I thought the match between whatever was makeup and whatever was CG was really well done. Um, I'm sure... Yeah, I, I couldn't tell. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that there's just no point in having him digital in every shot, but, you know, if he's going to fly out of windows and jump around and, and do stuff with Sentinels, then, of course, a body double is good. It used to be body doubles, you just keep him in the background, but, in fact, there are fairly close-up shots where he's dominating the frame and he's uh, fully rendered. Uh, and I think that that's, um, that's those CG builds are, are really, really good. I think the CG builds, uh, Matt, you might remember this, are Rhythm and Hughes. Um, that's right, yeah. 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 Uh, because of course they have uh, all their um, uh, voodoo tool set and stuff, and um, is it the rens that they render in? Is that right? Ren- yeah, that's yeah. the render renderer they use. And I I thought that was interesting. I was thinking earlier just about all the different companies that have that have been in this film: MPC, Digital Domain, Rhythm and Hughes, as we said, and Rising Sun, and many others. And then there's now so many different types of render engines being used in these movies, and yet the quality doesn't appear you don't seem to notice as you go from vendor to vendor shot to shot that it all seems to hold up and and look the same which i just think is fantastic now we've got to that level well but don't you think part of that is just to give credit to the overall visual effects supervisor because it's the overall visual effects supervisor's job to make sure that um you know we have a um that you know Basically, Richard Simmons has to make sure that it does look consistent. I mean, that's his job. Yeah. And uh, if uh, out, of, I mean, actually, I've got a, a rundown here for those of you that uh, are keeping score. It was MPC Digital Domain, Rhythm and Hughes, Rising Sun Pictures, CineSight, Fuel VFX, which is part of Animal Logic, uh, Hydraulics, uh, Vision Global. I think I don't know those guys that well. Method Studios, Legacy, uh, with the makeup stuff. I think there was Framestore doing some stuff in there, and there was somebody else that I missed. I know. Um, uh, okay, there's somebody else I missed. But anyway, uh, my apologies. But yeah, so it was like a lot of people, and you're absolutely right, it did look very consistent, um, which is uh, incredible, I mean, in of its own right. Um, we had some news this week, if you get out of a rat hole, about uh, RenderMan dropping in price dramatically and becoming free for non-commercial use. Just by way of a rat hole, because I really like you guys, and I'm interested in your opinion. Um, you know, Matt, you are a 3D guy, I guess, first and foremost, even though you've got very strong... Very strong uh, credentials. I mean, what's your favourite renderer? 
It's, it's that's a hard question that could get me into trouble. Um, I think the news has been really, really interesting. I think um, you could argue that maybe Pixar were a little concerned with what was happening with potentially Arnold and V-Ray as they made more inroads into the feature film market. And I think this is just a really smart move because I would assume now that probably every university and every student in the world is going to download Render Man the minute that's available later in the year. Um, I know I certainly will, and, and um, as I talk to people at different universities, I would definitely be advising them to look at it. Um, so I, I think it's a very smart move. It looks like um, some of the new technology that they're putting into Render Man is, is very interesting. So uh, I think it's a good shake-up. Again, there seems to be a lot of shake-up in the, in the rendering community over the last five years and this just seems to be a kind of another twist in what's happening sap just speaking for yourself not for your company that you work for just personally what's your favorite renderer i love all my renderer children equally don't try <laughs> to trick me like this uh, not no, I'm, 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 per I'm personal friends with basically every render developer on the planet, so I, I don't really pick favorites. I'm just happy as technology moves forward, and I'm really excited about this Renderman thing because they, uh, they are really now kind of finally embracing the one true way of uh, the, the Lord of the Physics, you know. So I'm, I'm happy, I'm excited, so let's see where that, this brings us. Yeah, of course, uh, for those of you that don't know, Zap's actually given lectures at SIDGRAPH on uh, physically based uh, shading and uh, lighting models. And, you know, more than that, too, just the entire pipeline uh, being linear and uh, building up to a, a sensible way of having a physically based um, uh, approach to 3D graphics. Though I would say that uh, prior to this current new version coming out, the 19, it is possible to do physically based uh, lighting in uh, in RenderMan. It's not that it's new to that, but certainly they've gone a long way um, with this uh, bi-directional path tracing um, approach and the rest of the stuff that they've done. I mean, you know, it's uh, the thing for me about physically based shading, apart from the the math side of it, which I totally love, is I just like lighting with area lights. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. And, I, and uh, good area lights and a good uh, lighting system that uh, is, uh, you know, respectful of physical properties like that um, is just a great way to work. I mean, it's just a terrific way to work. It's so, um, I don't know if it's intuitive, but it certainly, you know, approaches one sense of uh, how to light if you've done physical lighting. And, of course, I've done that on set. And, yeah, so I, I really... Really like that. I've got to say, I, I, I think it's a healthy thing that uh, there's competition. Uh, but there is no doubt I have a big... I do like uh, Arnold and I do like uh, Renderman a lot. The V-Ray guys, though, have been kicking it uh, pretty hard as well. I've got to say, the stuff that they did, we've just been um, publishing stuff on uh, Maleficent, the new Disney film. And uh, the skin shader stuff that their uh, V-Ray guys did in that, it's, it's really you know first class. So it's a good time to be interested in rendering, that's for sure. Yeah, I believe... Digital yep. Domain probably used V-Ray a bit in, in this movie, if not for all their stuff. Yeah, Digital Domain, uh, I believe, used uh, V-Ray, yep. And, uh, uh, but I mean, like, for example, um, Double Negative uses RenderMan. Um, Weta uses uh, RenderMan. And um, uh, a lot of the companies uh, in London use uh, Arnold. Um, and very successfully thus. I mean, the stuff in Gravity was spectacular. So it's... Uh, and it's not just those companies, right? I mean, uh, you know, there's some really good work done um, by a bunch of different uh, 
uh, renderer, something the Maxwell renderer produces particularly good results, and it's also very much a, a non-hack approach to uh, lighting and yeah. uh, yeah. and modelling, and uh, and then you know the list just keeps on going on. There's also quite a lot of places that have their own either versions of or sort of internal uh, renderers, you know, full stop, as we mentioned with the rhythm and hues going. Um, there's got to be a point at which it's sort of almost cheaper to develop your own renderer uh, than it is to uh, to buy it from somebody else. You've got these vast render farms. I think also the other thing about it is that as we move to this sort of ray tracing solution that's less hacks and more sort of physically based, it's almost easier in one sense because um, it's a bit less secret source and more, um, you know, approaching it from the right way. I think you can actually get better results as a less experienced uh, TD or lighting animation person with a physically based system a lot quicker than you could just trying to hack it and work it out um, uh, with the various workarounds that you needed. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's all, it's a, as I say, it's a really good time to be into uh, rendering. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so swinging it back to the show now for a second, uh, Mystique um, makes quite a few appearances and does some pretty cool uh, leg work, for example, with uh, various uh, Korean, I think it is, um, Chinese <laughs> uh, uh, dudes in their hotel room, a very funny scene. Um, what do we think of Mystique? She she must have been moving pretty much between uh, Jennifer Lawrence, unless uh, she's become incredibly athletic, and uh, a digital double as she jumped out of windows and did some pretty serious kind of kung fu moves. Uh, Zap, did we see anything that? Because uh, I think she's obviously a fan favorite. Yeah, uh, Jennifer Lawrence is, of course, this wonderful, uh, amazing little person uh, who seems to be have hilarious things to say for anything, and is this super charming, magnetic personality. Uh, I, fortunately, as you were saying earlier, not so much of that shown through in this movie because her task was to walk around being uh, annoyed and pissed all the time. Um, so. I wouldn't mind her wrapping her legs around me, though. That that looked interesting. But uh, <laughs> uh, the blue collar, I don't know. I had a feeling that the blue collar, both in the... Because they, if there was makeup and CG interchangeable, I couldn't tell the difference. So, again, I applaud this. But I'm more about the choice of the blue collar and the material on her which seemed a little shinier and more deep blue than in the older original kind of x-men trilogy where i think it was a slightly more pale blue slightly more natural skin like one percent closer to to real skin uh, so that's more a design issue than than that would anything wrong with the the, the rendering or anything and uh, it so it, it looked the, the blue looked a little dark to me but i i think that uh, that seems to be by choice i guess it could be a color correction thing as well uh, i've got to say that sequence when she uh is the vietnamese general and she fights off the two presumably you know, Imperial Stormtroopers slash Star Trek guys that come in to uh, grab her and uh, hold her. They're, you know, they're at the table in that conference room. Um, and she's she starts fighting them as the Vietnamese general and transforms herself into... Yep. And so, like, you've got a hand that's in one shot that's... Uh, or in one part of the action that's blue and the, you know, Vietnamese guy in another part. And, I mean, apparently the whole thing was put together with motion control and uh, it really was a matter of blending various parts and uh, and various bits of 3D together to kind of get that. I mean, she does some pretty friggin' out there moves. 
um, that yeah. would uh, break most people's spines. Um, kind of really dis- sort of distinctive. Um, and interestingly, uh, her eyes. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence never wore any makeup, special effects, contact lenses. So all the shots of her where she has that characteristic um, yellow eyes was just uh, you know put in later by um, uh, by the post team. That's very interesting to hear because I think one of the problems I did have was that I felt somehow the color contrast between her skin and her eyes is perhaps what I kind of picked up on. So maybe the difference is not in the skin. Uh, maybe the difference actually lies in the eyes instead. Uh, I, I can't pick it, but to me, something with the the skin uh, looked like they went too blue with the makeup somehow. Actually, it it's really interesting that you say that because the there are some shots of her that we have, like still shots of her. And the thing that I noticed about them, um, as you were saying that, is... Uh, her skin color, notwithstanding, her hair is also incredibly bright, being that sort of orangey color. But there are shots, of course, where it isn't very orange because it recedes because of lighting. It um, just doesn't seem very chromery because of the nature of um, that particular angle. Now, there are other shots where it's like super red, but not notwithstanding, there are scenes when she's in uh, Vietnam breaking out the guys from um, uh, the military kind of hospital thing. But her eyes... Her eyes remain fairly saturated and very punchy. And I think her hair is giving her eyes away because her hair is falling away and becoming less saturated, less illuminant, uh, illuminated uh, because of natural lighting. But her eyes are sort of hanging in there. Now, I wouldn't mind betting that either in the grade or in the visual effects, somebody said, we want to see her eyes. But I don't like Mystique to look like there's light in her eyes. I don't mind her having yellow eyes. But I, I think you're right. right. Now you say that. I, that may be yeah. the problem, right? Her fluoro eyes start becoming like she's got, you know, lights behind her eyes, and then you lose the humanity of Lawrence's kind of performance. Yes, uh, I think that that I could very well be it. it. Yeah, and as we, you know, as you know, we psychooptically, you know, look at contrast rather than, than absolute luminance of things. Mm. So maybe my issue, issue with the dark skin is actually an issue with the light eyes. Hard to tell. Yeah, because, I mean, if you look at similar shots of, say, um, uh, stuff that goes on with Beast, obviously different locations, different stuff, but he's got the same blue color, um, uh, his eyes tend to sometimes disappear because it's, you know, it's recessed in the face, just the angle that it's at. Now, that creatively works, but also uh, I think if his eyes were touched up, they would be more obvious and we'd have the same problem. Whereas, of course, his eyes aren't touched up, hers are. So, yeah, maybe that's it. Um, I think, I think this, this is one of the reasons that, that physically-based rendering is so important because we as human beings honestly suck at making these decisions, like how bright should we make the eyes, and you sit there, tweak it on a still frame until you think it looks right, and you just broken every law of physics. It kind of looks right to you at this moment, but uh, well, it's really wrong. It's even more than that. Like I remember when uh, I was first uh, like a young artist, I had a green screen job in the sense that we was putting screens, uh, someone was standing in front of a huge panel of, of monitors. So we had green squares where they were going to go because they crossed them a lot. Uh, so when we were doing the grade in the telecine, the walls in between were graded of quite an odd color because our eyes adjusted to so much green on screen that uh, – with just that up there, and we graded the grey in between the screens and the rest of the shot, and it looked all great. Once we took out that green, because we slapped in, of course, uh, what was meant to be on the monitors, uh, which was, you know, various colours, various whatevers, suddenly the whole rest of the scene was out of colour balance, and the grey didn't look the same grey as it did before. 
And that's when I learned that lesson that you, you, your eye really does adjust and kind of compensates. So if you're looking at a lot of anything for a long period of time, you kind of balance it out in your head. Yeah. So yep. I don't think it's just even that you're sitting there looking at a still saying, I'm happy with that. I think your interpretation of happiness changes the longer you stare at the done, the done image. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And it's also an, an issue in, in the, you know, that uh, in the color grade, there's a danger in trying to match too well from shot to shot. I heard uh, there was some discussion, for instance, about when they were making the Iron Man films. And Iron Man, when he was outside, he looked too blue because the clear coat picked up too much sky. And they started to tweak that in the render or in the grade. And I'm just screaming, no, it should look blue because you're now in a blue environment you f- idiot sorry bleep that out but yeah <laughs> uh, that just infuriates me when you do these things well no it's i mean like, I'm, I'm, I'm the same way when we do to do um when i'm doing a green screen comp you know there are two ways you can deal with spill one is just to neutralize it to gray and the other thing that i much preferred to do was hue shift whatever that spill color was to whatever the environment was if you are getting yes. green on the suit because he's in front of a green screen and now they're in front of a blue, they shouldn't take out the green and leave gray. You should have it skewing the blue because exactly. it's, the green has shown you what would be picked up of atmospheric hue and color and learn yep. from it. Don't kill it. Um, exactly. I'm sure you'd agree, Matt. Yeah, no, I definitely, definitely would. And I mean, I'm, I'm just sat here now looking at a picture of Mystique in Washington, D.C. And um, just again, just... Or obviously looking at a steel frame, which isn't always the best thing to do. But there seems to be between Mystique and Beast a, quite a different look in regards to how the subsurface scattering is was designed to work. She definitely feels like she's more solid than, than Beast's skin is. And I'm wondering whether some of that, um, some of the changes that they may have made in how the subsurface was working, that that is making the skin look uh, heavier than then we may like it too. Well, of course, another problem can be if you do have the actress in an outfit and thus she's got a lot of stuff on her skin, you've changed now It's um, the skin's property of diffusing below the skin surface because you've got Absolutely. so much stuff sitting on top of it. So she does look more solid because you no longer have the literally subsurface yeah. scattering. Consequently, if you then make a digital version to match to the makeup version, you have to make a uh, less subsurface scattered for it to work. Um now, that's, that's all very well and good, but surely you could argue the same thing would apply to when they make the digital version of, um, of Beast. So maybe I'm shooting myself in the foot by saying but that. Was, but. Wasn't the case that they used a different technique now for Mystique? That she, it used to be more like a body paint and now it's actually a suit, so there is a difference? I right. think I read that somewhere. Right, okay, because she obviously has appliances on it because she has those kind of scale things that... Um, and uh, how can I put this? Um, <clears throat> politically correct yes. <laughs> um, uh, aspects to her, yes, um, yes. to her person. And it so. definitely has a, a slight iridescent feel about the whole thing, which I think also causes it to, to look the way it does. Yeah, yeah. I think I think there's. Uh, well, actually, I was leading up to this before, but I kind of got sidetracked. But I, I was going to ask you, Matt, would you go and see, and would you look forward to seeing a mystique? Uh, spin-off film like we saw the Wolverines because I mean, there was sort of some talk that she has enough star power you could easily make some mis- you know like a mystique uh, franchise in of its own right in the way they did the Wolverine films in their own right I I think 
I probably would be, but probably for the wrong reasons. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I need to let me let me clarify this. Okay. Your wife's not um, listening to this, right? <laughs> not at the moment. Okay. I think it would be great to see a, a Mystique film, just because it would be great to see her transform in and out of different characters. Um, and I think some of the transformations that she does in this film, I'm thinking um, after she's shot, um, she transforms into the uh, the lady with the big kind of hairdo. That transformation looked really nice. And the one that I particularly liked was the thumb because it was so close as she um, transforms uh, just the thumb to get the thumbprint for the, for the safe room that she goes into. Um, so a, a film based on her with a lot of transformations would be great. A film based on her also as a good guy because then we could get some of the you know the Jennifer Lawrence and spank, spunky personality because if she's going to be a grim uh, you know kind of evil kind of bad guy the whole time uh, it will be a little dire like like it kind of was in this film which was a little yeah. pity because Jennifer Lawrence rules. I mean you know that when you saw Jennifer Lawrence appear as a soldier without the blue as herself as it were as a soldier in Vietnam. That's a really appealing, like you think, oh, this yeah. is going to get interesting, and then it sort of cuts away. Hey, let me read you something that was posted on FX Guide by Brian. He didn't intend this for our show, but I just thought I'd get your opinions on it. Um, and I don't know Brian and uh, can't speak to Brian's uh, background, but just by way of the fact that anyone who's uh, willing to post on FX Guide is my friend. Um, they thought that the post-production work on the show was a bit up and down, like they liked the Quicksilver sequence. But uh, Brian called out a couple of sequences that they, Brian thought wasn't good, um, in particular in terms of green screen reflections and the stuff we've been talking about. Um, the Cerebro room where he goes in and uh, you know tries to do it and again gets overpowered by it with um, Beast and Wolverine behind him. Uh, the criticism was that there was a lot of green spill and reflections in Professor X's wheelchair. And then Magneto stealing his helmet um, and the metal spheres that uh, you know thrown around didn't feel that they were feeling particularly realistic um how do you respond uh you know zap to those did did either of those sequences um with uh professor x's wheelchair or bagnino nicking his helmet back bug you no actually i was enjoying those little metal spheres specifically and for the wheelchair i can't say that i actually noticed anything so i don't really have a comment on that it was for sure not anything that stood out to me but I actually was looking specifically at those uh, metal spheres and took them as a good thing in my mind, but hey. It's interesting, isn't it? Um, I saw a breakdown, I don't think it's been released yet, of the um, the room, which has, of course, the ghosty effects of all the uh, mutants that he uh, mentally accesses. And and I do, I do like how that generally gets uh, dealt with. I mean, trying to get us as the audience to understand there's a virtual, not infinite, but, you know, like a huge number of mutants out there and he's got all these voices and how he's going to kind of concentrate between them. It's not an original look in this film. It's been used in other films. Oh, oh, oh sorry, other X-Men films. But I've always thought that was a rather successful, you know, treatment. It's a... Um, sort of a projected look, but by the same token, it's ghost-like without being afterlifey. Um, what about you, Matt? Yeah, I I didn't go a bundle on it. I didn't dislike it. I just I wasn't overly excited by it. I did, um, however, stumble into a 3D showing of this movie, and uh, it looked really nice 3D. They had, they had obviously put a lot of work into getting the depth to work nicely, even though they were kind of semi-translucent, a lot of the kind of holographic look of it. it i felt it worked well it just wouldn't have been one of my favorite sequences but um, i'm glad it was in there i think it needed it i'd kind of 
thought as we were going through the film, I wonder whether they're going to get to a sequence like that. So I was pleased they did. I do like the school um, and I do like the cameos in the school at the end. Like I, I think it's something like that is really good for the fans. When you see people that you haven't seen up now, of course, we see people that are spoilers um, all the way through this, of course, <laughs> this discussion, but <laughs> big one right now. We see people that are dead um, from the third X-Men film, suddenly uh, not dead, hanging out with uh, with the professor. So I, I do like the uh, the nods to the um, audience. I also like anything that Wolverine does comically. Yeah. You've got to find those moments, though, I think, to, to give it. I found the general pacing of that whole bit of going down in Cerebro just kind of dull anyway because this whole kind of angst thing i was over it i don't want to see professor uh, x as uh, xavier just being a kind of self um obsessed um feel sorry for yourself uh kind of guy but um yeah this tortured soul thing wasn't really buying it for me somebody said to me one of the reasons that i had a problem with that is that i just that were you know they're suggesting this to me is that i just couldn't possibly have thought that uh both of those professors were the same guy because the acting great but the just match by casting was so bad did you guys actually feel like that was the same character at either ends of the time spectrum um no i didn't yeah i didn't yeah i have to say uh, that that's an issue i have maybe with the casting of the first class gang yeah. is that i have a really hard time with some of them uh, maybe uh, we were talking about Beast earlier. Is probably like how would this kind of tall, scrawny kid that turns blue become this kind of short and wide, stocky blue guy from the other movies? <laughs> Doesn't okay. I've been stocky over the years, but I didn't shrink in height. <laughs> so <laughs> little things like that. And the thing that they portrayed a bold person in the future movie with the guy with the longest hair ever is like, are we doing this like on purpose to be anti somehow? You know, that is this, this mane of hair. I don't know. Yeah. It would have been nice if they could have solved that a bit better. I just... I don't have as much of a problem with Magneto. I must admit, somehow the two actors Agreed. link better for me. Um, okay, so we've heard what Brian uh, posted on FX Guide that he didn't like. Is there any shots that you guys thought, uh, you know, weren't uh, sort of stuck out for you, took you out of the film? Nothing that completely any... took, me out, took me out. There was one thing that you actually mentioned. It is actually the transformation of uh, uh, Mystique into plain Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, in that that army camp, it looks a little kind of like probably they shot her on a green screen. I would don't know why they would need to though. She could just have easily been. There was something with the contrast of like real normal uh, Jennifer Lawrence against the background that looked she looked kind of indoor lit to me. This could be wrong. Maybe they just scrimmed it off too much or something. The the lighting didn't look like. St- completely realistic but uh, like we're now in super nitpick territory so for anyone who actually worked on this movie i applaud you all so i'm we're really just picking the nittiest little nit ever (laughs) okay (laughs) what about you matt um i would say 99.9 percent of all of it i i absolutely loved i thought it was fantastic and again um as zap saying this is just the smallest thing that i don't think i could have improved on but one thing that I did spot and I just thought, huh, that looks a little unusual was um, 
right at the beginning when um, when Wolverine goes to see Beast and they have that initial fight. Um, it's at the top of the stairs, so you don't really see what happens apart from you see Wolverine fly across to the, the right-hand side and then Beast yep. kind of jumps across. Something in that movement of Beast just felt... I, I know it wasn't, but it felt very slightly like a wire, wire work kind of jump. And again, I'm not sure what it was. It could have just been a tiny bit too fast or slow or... And it probably was it nothing. It could but have been shutter crime as well. I detected a little <laughs> bit of probably 270 degree shutter at places in this film around okay. this particular area you're mentioning. So it looked kind of little smeary motion. Uh, so that might be it. Uh, might be right. Jason Windrow's uh, trademarked shutter crime. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But other well, than that, it looked fantastic. Well, as you know, my uh, my sequence I wasn't so happy with was the jet. Um, just didn't I didn't think it worked very well and visually. And I and I guess one of the things there is um, it was designed so I could see what was going on, and I felt like I shouldn't be able to see what was going on. And that's what I loved. I've got to say, in something like Godzilla, when there was just a lot of dust and dirt, and I couldn't see what was going on, and characters would be moving towards me, and you just could tell that, but you couldn't see it properly. And I I just feel like. Um, Again, like we've been discussing earlier, you can make it a little too perfect, a little too achievable. Yes. And uh, when you do, you just back off a bit from uh, the marvellous kind of engagement level that we get in some films. But again, I thought the film was really good. It had some great sequences in it. certainly done a, a wonderful job for the franchise overall. Um, yeah, I don't know that it's going to be my favourite film of the summer, but it's certainly not the one that I you know regretted seeing. I, I thought it was good. I you know, would recommend it to uh, people that liked the... Uh, the franchise and I had enough in it that was uh, you know really fun and engaging I don't know just some films some films get me leaving the cinema kind of really rooting for the characters and others get me going okay well that was fun and um, but it's when I've kind of really fascinated by the characters and start pondering them that I some of my favourite films and there are in fact some of those films still coming up this summer because I've seen mm. some of the previews and uh, they might surprise you which ones that, that they are well um, guys yeah, thanks I'm, I'm a I'm a tiny bit sad I couldn't be on the Godzilla commentary or, or VX, VFX show because I absolutely love that movie. So Gareth Edwards, applause. I want little Gareth babies with you. Amazing work. <laughs> and he really did this thing, like you were saying, you don't see stuff. Stuff is hidden away. Stuff is blown out. Stuff is behind dust. And you can't see... Take a normal you know, camera and film some explosion-y stuff or whatever. Freeze frame it. You can't tell that there's a puff of smoke in the right-left corner uh, or upper right corner or whatever until you actually play it in motion. Then you see, oh yeah, those pixels that look like noise on this frame is actually part of dust that I can now perceive in motion. The the trap you fall into when you're compositing something like that is like, oh, I need to see the dust here as so I turn it up, and then you get dust that looks all too too obvious and too, you know, too perfect and too unreal, so... I, yeah. I blame I blame CineSync for having a stop on frames and be able to draw on them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> never, look, never look at stuff. Uh, always look at stuff at speed. Yes. Yeah, there was actually a really good visual effects artist, I remember, who uh, a supervisor who said that to me once. He said they used to just do that. They, somebody would stop and say, can we stop that? Said, well, no, because no one's ever going to see it stop framed. They're going to see it on the, on the move. You should be judging it on the move. But, of course, yes. with uh, QuickTime and DVDs and everything else, people do stop on frames and, uh, and judge you by them. But I, I do agree. Things that can only be perceived in motion are a tremendous 
uh, that's the threshold of what can sometimes be terrific just to to only understand it through motion um, because it's so realistic that it kind of doesn't lend itself <clears throat> to being analysed in the still. So it's a good point. Hey, guys, we have to wrap it up for this week, but I do want to thank you guys so much for being with us. Um, Zap, where is the social networky side of the world that can connect with you? Where, where is the best way for people to uh, stalk you, follow you and track you? For those not stalking me on Facebook and being bored to tears about all my quadcopter flying can follow me on Twitter. <laughs> you uh, you, you are posting Zap. quite a lot of quadcopter yeah. stuff, my friend. Yeah, I had a little bit of a quad fest on my uh, yard <laughs> this weekend. We had a full-scale helicopter here and we had quite a lot of fun, actually. Look, look so, fun. yeah, sorry about that. It's a dangerous hobby. It's addictive as hell. Yes, yes. Thank the Lord for GoPros. Um <laughs> and Matt, uh, just uh, on the on the Twitters as Matt D Leonard. That's the best place to find me. And of course, I can be found over at FX Guide with my feet up in a pair of cowboy boots with a large cigar and incredible sideburns uh, any time of the day or night. Thank you guys so much for being with us. Thank you guys for listening. We really appreciate it. Uh, a bunch more stuff coming out um, over the summer. I can guarantee that you're going to like some of the stuff coming. There's a uh, Great stuff from, uh, I mean, I haven't seen these films yet, of course. Well, some of them I've seen. Um, but, you know, some definitely big effects work coming down the pipe from things like Guardians of the Galaxy, Transformers 4, uh, Edge of Tomorrow. Uh, so, yeah, um, good stuff coming up here on the show. Hope you'll join us for those. Until then, I'm Mike Simmel. Thanks so much for being with us, guys. See you. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at vfx at fxguide.com. Copyright 2012, FX Guide, LLC.